Hello everyone and welcome back. This is episode two and today we'll be talking about Where the Crawdads Sing by Delia Owens. It is a fiction, mystery, thriller, and romance book. It is August of 1952 and it's summertime. Uh, it takes place on the coast of North Carolina in a village called Barkley Cove and they do lots of visits to several other locations on the coast of North Carolina. Um, something I like about the book is in the very beginning it has a picture of a a map of the coast and it pinpoints all the locations of all the different places that they've gone which i thought was a really nice visual because visioning that stuff can be a little so like strange. world building yeah so that was nice so it's a family of seven the clarks they're not very well liked uh, because they're dirt poor and mostly everybody thinks that they're no good they're trashy and they usually just keep their distance when they're around or they're just blatantly rude to them they live in a shack in the outskirts of barkley cove uh it's very secluded in the very unwanted and dangerous marshy land. The home and the land was passed down in the family. It's a very poor family. Neither Ma or Pa work and their only source of income is Pa's disability checks from his leg injury during World War II. He's a major alcoholic and he's very abusive. Ma has left several times before because of his abuse, but she always came back. Kaya, whose real name is Catherine Danielle Clark, she was doing some dishes when she heard the door slam. When Kaya ran to the porch, she saw her mother in a long brown skirt, kick pleats nipping at her ankles, as she walked down the sandy lane in high heels. The stubby-nosed shoes were fake out alligator skin her only going out pair. Kaya wanted to holler out but knew not to rouse Pa, so she opened the door and stood on the brick and board steps. From there she saw the blue train case Ma carried. Usually with the confidence of a pup, Kaya knew her mother would return with meat wrapped in greasy brown paper or with a chicken head dangling down. But she never wore the gaither heels, never took a case. Ma always looked back where the foot lane met the road, one arm held high, white palm waving as she turned onto the track, which wove through bog forest, cattail lagoons and maybe if the tide obliged eventually into town but today she walked on unsteady in the ruts her tall figure emerged now and then through the holes of the forest until only swatches of white scarf flashed between the leaves kaya sprinted to the spot she knew would bear the road surely ma would wave from there but she arrived only in time to glimpse the blue case the color so wrong for the woods as it disappeared a heaviness thick as black cotton mud pushed her chest as she returned to the steps to wait kaya was the youngest of five she was six years old the others much older though later she couldn't recall their ages they lived with ma and pa squeezed together like penned rabbits in the rough cut shack its green porch staring the big eyed from under the oaks jody the brother closest to kaya but still seven years older stepped from the house and stood behind her he had her same dark eyes and black hair had taught her bird songs star names how to steer the boat through sawgrass ma'll be back he said i don't know she's wearing her gator shoes a ma don't leave her kids it ain't in em you told me that fox left her babies yeah but that vixen got her leg all tore up she'd starve to death if she tried to feed herself and her kids she was better off to leave em heal herself up then whelp more when she could raise him good. Ma ain't starving. She'll be back. Jody wasn't nearly as sure as he sounded, but he said it for Kaya. Her throat tight, she whispered, but Ma's carrying the blue case like she's going somewhere big. Ma never came back that day, but the kids didn't speak of it, nor did Pa. The days went by, and Ma still never came back. The children did their best to stay out of Pa's way, and did whatever they could to avoid conflict. But eventually, one by one, the eldest children, about adults, Missy, Murph, and Mandy, had left the home, 
until it was just Jody, Kaya, and Pa. They had endured enough of Pa's abuse and could no longer stay. One morning, Jody, her brother, who was 13 at the time, made himself and Kaya breakfast, grits and scrambled eggs. They ate quietly and quickly washed the dishes to avoid waking Pa. They went outside to head to the marsh, but all of a sudden, Pa shouted and went after them. Kaya suggested that they hide in the mossy area, but later that evening, Jody found Kaya on the beach, staring at the sea, and he stepped next to her. She didn't even have to look at him to know that Pa had slugged him in the face earlier that day and she could just tell by the way he spoke to her. I have to go, Kaya. Can't live here no longer. She wanted to beg him to stay, to not leave her with Pa, but she didn't. When you're old enough, you'll understand. Why but didn't he take her with them? I don't really know. They're all old enough, yeah, right? Yeah, they just left her. And I mean, I feel like in that situation, they can't really... What's he gonna do? Call the cops and be like, my abuse... The children that I've been abusing have run away? Exactly. Aww. There's really nothing that he could do about it. I mean, maybe he just couldn't take care of another mouth but but with him being a major alcoholic though it's his own fault maybe the brother couldn't take care of another oh yeah considering he was 13 oh he was 13, 13. when he left 13 oh so i thought he was an adult no the other so the oldest ones there's three other um brothers and sisters and they were almost adults themselves they were like probably late teens they all left and then it was just Jody and Kaya, and Jody is uh, only 13. He's a 13-year-old. Yeah, and then Kaya is 6 at this point. So, so that wasn't an option for him. Probably not. Maybe for the others, but not for him. Yeah. Kaya already understood that it was because of Pa, but she wondered why nobody took her with them. She wanted to leave too, but she had no money and nowhere to go. So from there on out, Kaya was alone with Pa, and she had to fend for herself because Pa was clearly not capable of providing, because he didn't, one, make enough money, and two, he was a major alcoholic, so most of his money just went to that. One day, he left, and he didn't come home for three days in a row, and on the fourth day, he returned in the evening with a bottle of alcohol and went right to bed. The next morning, when he woke, he asked Kaya where everyone went, and she tells him that she doesn't know, and he says to her, You don't know much as a cur dog, useless as tits on a boar hog. A cur dog is a type of working and hunting dog that is extinct, so I think he's just referring to her as useless because she can't do nothing. Over the next few days, Kaya had really learned how to live with Pa, how to keep out of his way and not let him see her. And after a week, after Jody left, the refrigerator stood empty and only a few turnips from the garden were left. And the frigidaire was really just for storage because there was zero electricity at all in the shack. It, mind you, it's in the marshlands in the middle of nowhere. There's no electricity there. So the fridge is just really for show and they just keep food in it that doesn't actually need to be refrigerated. Interesting. Yeah. Pop pointed to a crumbled up dollar and loose coins on the kitchen table. This here'll get you food for the week. There ain't no such thing as handouts. Everything costs something, and for the money you gotta keep the house up, the stove wood collected, and wash the laundry. Mind you, Kaya is six and Pa is a grown man asking a child to do all these house chores and cater to him for money just to take care of herself. So you can already tell that Pa is a garbage parent. Very garbage. 
garbage. Yeah. So she takes the money and she walks to the Piggly Wiggly with the money that Pa gave her. And the Piggly Wiggly is a market in the actual village of Barkley Cove, which is about four miles from her house. She goes and she buys one pound bag of grits. And when she gets home, she attempts to make them. And she's watched her ma make them many times, so she thought she had a pretty good idea on how to make them but when she actually went to go make them they didn't turn out how they were supposed to but as the days went by she figured out how to make them and she started teaching herself to make other kinds of food which is nice she had done the laundry with ma plenty of times so she knew how to scrub clothes on the rub board with lye soap and water she and pa had been living in the same home but not seeing each other for days she cleaned up after him and herself and she never made meals for him because well she wasn't a good cook and he was never there anyway so she did all the chores but not because he told her to but because she was trying to keep the shack decent for when ma returns home so she has this idea that ma's gonna come back and she keeps thinking that and believe in that so she keeps preparing for that and i don't know a single six-year-old that can cook and clean and do laundry i still so. can't cook clean and do laundry it's hard the time. it's hard kaya had not known the date of her birthday but ma had always said that the autumn harvest moon always showed up for her birthday one evening when the moon rose swollen and golden from the lagoon kaya said to herself i reckon i'm seven pa never mentioned it certainly there was no cake he didn't say anything about her going to school either and she not not knowing much about it was too afraid to bring it up but she ended up going to school because the truant officers showed up at her house and she heard them coming so she decided to hide but the officers stood outside the house enticing her with things like a free hot meal every day and that sounded pretty good to kaya because she can't cook she was like you know what maybe it's not all that bad so she ends up going and she goes barefoot in a dress because she doesn't have shoes no shoes she don't have nothing she has oh. the, whatever clothes that she had um and whatever clothes that her brothers and sisters had but obviously she was too small for that for most of their clothes so she went barefoot and they put her in a second grade class because first grade was full so imagine being six years old not ever going to school seven now seven now right <laughs> going to school but never going like never going to like did she ever even meet other kids other than her family no she i don't think she's been around very many people at all maybe when they go to town to buy stuff but i doubt it so she's very secluded i can already see how this is gonna go yeah it's not good she went to school and she got put into second grade which is not the best idea because she didn't even go to kindergarten or first grade so completely skipped all those years can she read and write no and they threw her in second grade yeah so the kids made fun of her because she couldn't even spell dog so all of the adults in this story suck they all suck literally all of them yeah treated her like way older than she really is and it's embarrassing you go to school and kids are mean kids are so mean they say the most ruthless things i can only imagine how she felt when they made fun of her for not knowing how to spell dog so she goes to lunch and she ends up sitting alone at a empty table by herself and she sees some familiar faces like um a boy named chase andrews and some of his friends chase andrews is a boy who almost ran her over in town with his bicycle when she was on her way to the piggly wiggly for some grits um but she, that's pretty much the only person that she recognized there she was quiet the rest of the day even stayed mute when spoken to and the kids bullied her on the bus ride home so after that day she never went back the truant officers came looking for her several times for a few weeks but she hid every time they came by and eventually they just gave up that that's a thing that you can just do you just give up <laughs> just avoid it 
all of these adults they suck. suck. Yeah. But I don't think they care very much. They kind of look down on her and her family anyway. And they think, like, they're trashy and just, like, scum. But, like, so maybe she needed some help. She definitely did. <laughs> she definitely And they failed her. They failed her very, very badly so she just lived off whatever she had at the house and on the land although she had no real skills like reading and writing she was pretty smart she knew a lot about the marsh and everything in her immediate world uh, like the sea and the kinds of plants and bogs and animals because the family spent a lot of time outside so she ended up learning a lot so pa tells her he's leaving for a few days that he's got some business to take care of with the army about his disability checks so he left and kaya's outside wandering around for a little bit she sees pa's boat tied up on the line over there by the water and she had been out on the boat many times usually with jody he let her steer sometimes so she was a little experienced on the boat so she decided she was gonna take a boat for a ride and jody taught her to always check the gas so that pa wouldn't notice the boat was taken and that day there wasn't enough gas in it for a short ride but she decided to chance it and she took it anyway and she ended up coming across another person when she was out and about she was actually scared because it ended up being a boy who was about 11 or 12 and he was just fishing he wasn't doing anything crazy but her mom had always taught her and her sisters to look out for men because if you look tempting men turn into predators so kaya had this idea that she's in danger but she had to go right past him because she wanted to go back home so she was really nervous she had no other way to get around him she had to go past him <clears throat> so she cruises by him he smiles and touches the brim of his hat she smiles slightly and increases the throttle she ends up getting lost because she don't really know the way home she missed the channel she was supposed to turn into. Now she's panicking. So she cuts the boat. She's She sits in silence and she's panicking. Because she's like, how am I going to get home? She ends up going back to the boy to ask him for help. She was afraid to ask, but also afraid not to. Because she would risk Pa finding out she took the boat. So she's looking pretty upset. And the boy kind of figures it out on his own that she might be lost. So they have a conversation and he lets her know that he actually knows her because he used to go fishing with her brother Jody. So she feels a little bit better about the situation and he ends up leading her home on his boat and a storm was rolling in and he had to get going. So he says, all right then, my name's Tate in case you see me again. This jump started a little fire in Kaya because Tate was really nice to her. He was very steady, very sure, very calm, unlike anyone that she ever met. So for the first time since Jody and Ma left, Kaya had felt something other than pain. She ended up going to get gas for Pa's boat at a filling station in town. At first, the owner told her to get going, called her marsh trash and a beggar hen, and she proceeds to tell him that she does have cash for the gas, and he wasn't really happy about giving her service, but he gave her what she came for, and she walked home with the gas along with some groceries that she got there as well, and she got home and she filled the tank of the boat, and then on the fourth day after Pa was gone, he came back home, and as mean as he was, Kaya knew she needed him around, so she did all these nice things for him, like changed the sheets, and made a dinner for him. She made boiled mustard greens, backbone, and grits. And in a few minutes, he stepped out straight into the kitchen, looked at the set table, and at the steaming bowls of food. He saw her standing against the fridge, and they stared at each other like they'd never seen each other before. Ah, swanee girl, what's all this? Looks like you went and got all growed up, cooking and all. He didn't smile, but his face was calm. He was unshaven, with dark, unwashed hair hanging across his left temple. He was sober. 
She knew the signs. Yes, sir, I fixed the cornbread too, but it didn't come out. Well, thank you. That's a mighty good girl. I'm plumb wore out and hungry as a wallow hog. He pulled out a chair and sat, so she did the same. Can I go out fishing with you sometime? He laughed hard, but it was kind. The first time he'd laughed since Ma and the others left. So you want to go fishing? Yes, sir, I do. You're a girl, he said, looking at his plate, chewing backbone. Yes, sir, I'm your girl. Well, I might could take you out sometime. And ever since Pa came home, which was clearly not a trip to talk about his disability checks with the army, uh, and it appears to be a trip to go get sober, which was never actually disclosed in the book, but it's pretty obvious to me. You don't just go leave to the army and come back sober magically, so he was definitely out getting some help, I think. He started being really nice to her, and she was obviously loving every minute of it, and they started spending more time together, like, going fishing. And Pa had even opened up to her about his family while they were fishing one day, explaining how his family grew up. He explained how his family grew up, wasn't always poor, and he explained how that came about, which was basically from the Great Depression, and his family owned a cotton business, and I guess at the point in time, cotton weevils were a big issue, so they pretty much ate the entire business, and there was just tons and tons of debt after that, so I didn't know there was cotton weevils. I didn't know. I didn't even know what weevils were until this book. Pa still disappeared now and then, and he wouldn't come back for several days at a time. But when he did come home, he wouldn't come home in a drunken stupor. Instead, he would come home, eat dinner, and have conversation with Kaya. So one day in early September, Kaya checked the mail and recognized the handwriting on a letter that was in the mailbox. It was her mother's handwriting, but she couldn't read it, so she left it on the table for when Pa returned home from an outing on his boat. She was nervous about him seeing the letter, so she hid in the outhouse when he got home, watched from the carved quarter moon in the door. So after some time goes by, and Pa storms out of the house to his boat, and he takes off. He took the letter with him too, and then he disappeared for a few days. And when he returned, it was clear he broke his sobriety and the old pa was back. Eventually, his coming and goings had become longer and longer. Eventually, he just stopped coming home and he left everything behind, including the boat. This part hurts my feelings because I was really proud of him and I thought he was doing like a really good thing. He's probably going to like classes and stuff. Yeah, I thought he was doing good. I mean, maybe it's still know? not the best decision to leave his seven-year-old daughter home alone for no. Days on end, no, but definitely not. But he was taking a step in the right direction, I guess. And Kaya knew she needed him there, so I feel bad because he let her down again. And just one letter set him over the edge. I wonder what was in it. I do you ever find out? No, there was no mentions of what the letter said at all. But I, that's I, so I upsetting. Wish, yeah, I wish that it was in there because to soil a man's sobriety in one letter, she must have said some shit. I don't imagine it was a nice letter, considering. Do you think she was asking for Kaya? I don't know. Because she didn't ask for the rest of them. They left on their own. and Yeah, but Kaya's the only one that's still there. I don't know. Maybe. But she could have just came and possibly swooped her up and left. Unless she was afraid of getting... Yeah, that's true. That probably wouldn't have been a good idea. Being in a bad situation. Yeah. I do wish they listed at least some of the letter on in the book. It would have been nice. So Kaya geared herself up after that, and she knew she had to figure out how to survive in the marsh alone if she wanted to stay there. She loved her house and the nature around it and she wanted 
very much to stay. So she made ends meet for years by digging mussels out of the ground and selling them to Jumpin's Gas and Bait, which is a place where Pa took her to fill up his boat and get some bait. But he also sold more than gas and bait. He sold fresh-caught seafood and many other staple items that Kaya would need to get by. So for the next three years, Kaya still sees Tate around once in a while, and he's always fishing. And she wanted to talk to him, but she really struggled to get the courage to talk to him. She was very shy, very secluded, and like her mom had told her, men are, you know, men are dangerous or can be dangerous. So she wasn't, she really didn't want to approach him ever, but also kind of wanted to. Gave her like the whole, well, what was she wearing mentality. Yeah. At Jumpin's Gas and Bait, usually it's just Jumpin and his wife Mabel. They see Kaya coming in every so often and they start to realize how bad her situation is. They start to kind of realize like Pa's not around, Ma's not around. She's kind of on her own. They don't make a big fuss about it though. They just kind of look after her. This seven-year-old is literally living in a house by herself and uh, it's okay. It's okay. He's fine. Yeah. But I mean, this did take place in the 50s, 60s. I still feel like that's not... I feel like they didn't care as much then as they do now about children and what they do. I don't know. I mean, I guess it's a different time. I don't understand. True. So they don't make a big fuss about it and they just continue to look after Kaya and trade her things like clothes for the fish that she catches and brings to them to sell. And they actually taught her how to smoke the fish. They buy mussels off of her. She'll go out and she'll dig a bunch of them up and then bring them in early morning and sell them to them. So that's how she gets her money. And they're the only two people in the town that she trusts. Because the lady from the Piggly Wiggly was always asking her why she wasn't in school. So Kaya was afraid that she would get picked up by the truant officers. So she just stopped going there. So Kaya goes out fishing. She's about 14 at this time period now. So we've jumped ahead We've jumped quite ahead a bit. Quite a few years. She's 14 at this point now. She decides to go fishing, and while she's out there fishing, she hears a noise from the area behind her. She doesn't see anybody at first, but then all of a sudden, walking through the woods, she sees a boy, and then he noticed her too. So she gets freaked out, and she ducks and hides until almost dark. She's that freaked out. And then once it gets dark, she starts to make her way back to the house. And on her way home, she found a old moss-covered stump. As she gets closer to it, she finds a thin black feather, which is about five or six inches long, sticking straight up out of it. Kaya knew her birds very well, and she knew that this exact feather would be the eyebrow of a great blue heron. She thought that the boy put it there and was worried that he might be watching her. But she decided to take the feather, as she does not have this kind in her collection. Then the next morning she goes back to the stump and she finds another feather. This time it's a thin white feather from the tail of a tropic bird. It's long from her elbow to her fingertips. And she laughs out loud because it's rare to find these kinds of feathers. These birds didn't come to the area but sometimes they would get blown over by hurricanes. Kaya's heart filled with wonder that someone had such a collection of rare feathers that he could spare this one. Since she couldn't read Ma's old guidebook, she didn't know the names for most of the birds or insects so she made up her own. And even though she couldn't write, Kaya had found a way to label her specimens. Her talent had matured and now she could draw, paint, and sketch anything. Using chalks or watercolors from the five and dime, which is basically like a dollar store, she sketched the birds, insects, or shells on the grocery bags and attached them to her samples. That night she splurged and lit two candles and set them in saucers on the kitchen table so she could see all the colors of the white so she could paint the tropic bird feather. So she's just like living by candlelight at night? 
Yeah, no electricity. And she lives out in the middle of nowhere, so there's probably very little light pollution, too. So it's just very dark. Which could be nice, but as a a young girl girl, living by herself, living by herself in the middle of the woods, in the middle of nowhere, that's scary. Kaya kept checking that stump every day, multiple times a day, for about a week. But that entire week, there was nothing left for her. After that week, she decided to hang out in her cabin midday. It was located further out in the woods from her shack. She really only went there to other stuff that she didn't live in there or nothing like that. Sounds nice. (laughs) So there's a kitchen in there. She starts rummaging through the kitchen. Thought about painting, but she just decided to check the stump again. This time she went and she found a striped wild turkey tail feather, which is one of her favorites. So she figures the game is back on. Another day, she received a feather from a crest of the night heron, which is one of the most beautiful, and a red and white milk carton that contained seeds for turnips, carrots, and green beans, and at the bottom, a spark plug for her boat engine, as well as a note. One evening, she went to the stump to leave a feather for the boy, and as she approached the area, there he was, sitting up against the stump. It was the boy who helped her home in her boat when she was seven. Tate was excited to see Kaya, and he smiled very wide, but Kaya halted, shaken by the sudden break in the unwritten rules. That was the fun of it, a game where they didn't have to talk or even see each other, and heat rose in her face. Hey, Kaya, please don't run. It's just me, Tate, he said very quietly and slowly, like she was dumb or something. That was probably what the townspeople said of her, that she barely spoke human. Tate couldn't help but staring. She must be 13 or 14, he thought. But even at that age, she had the most striking face he had ever seen. Her large eyes nearly black, her nose slender over her shapely lips, painted her in an exotic light. She was tall, thin, giving her a fragile, lithesome look as though molded wild by the wind. Yet young, strapping muscles showed through with quiet power. Her impulse, as always, was to run. But there was another sensation, a fullness she hadn't felt in years, as if something warm had been poured inside her heart. She thought of the feathers, the spark plug, and the seeds. All of it might end if she ran. Without speaking, she lifted her hand and held the elegant swan feather toward him. Slowly, as though she might spring like a startled fawn, he walked over and studied it in her hand. She watched it in silence, only looking at the feather and not his face, and nowhere near his eyes. Tundra swan, right? Incredible, Kaya. Thank you. He was much taller and bent slightly as he took it from her. Of course, this was the time for her to say thank you for his gifts, but she stood silent, wishing he would go, they could stick to their game. Trying to fill the silence, he continued, my dad's the one who taught me birds. Finally, she looked up at him and said, I can't read your note. Well, sure, since you don't go to school, I forgot. All it said was, I saw you a couple times when I was fishing, and I got thinking that maybe you could use the seeds in the spark plug. I had extra and thought it might save you a trip to town. I figured you'd like the feathers. Kaya hung her head and said, thank you for them. That was mighty fine of you. Kate noticed that while her face and body showed early inklings and foothills of womanhood, her mannerisms and turns of phrases were somewhat childlike in contrast to the village girls whose mannerisms overdoing their makeup pussing and smoking outranked their foothills you're welcome well i best be going getting late i'll drop by now and then if that's okay kaya didn't say a word to that the game must be over as soon as he realized she wasn't going to speak again he nodded to her touched his hat and turned to go but just as he ducked his head to step into the brambles he looked back at her you know i could teach you to read not much longer after this encounter kaya and tate started 
started meeting so he could teach her how to read and write and a few other things. One afternoon, Tate arrived in his boat. Kaya asked to meet somewhere else because Jumpin had told her that the social services have been poking around in his store trying to figure out where she's at and what her situation is. Well, we better hide way out there where the crawdads sing. I pity any foster parents who take you on. His whole face smiled. What do you- It literally took them seven (laughs) years to figure out that she was in a situation? Yeah. Seven years. Yeah. And now they're like, and now oh, they're like, oh my god. This child's been living by herself. Yeah. Oh gosh. They're very terrible at their jobs. Yeah. <laughs> like, don't you know? How would how would you not know? Like the school didn't feel like this girl has never it's I'm assuming it's a small town. Yeah, very small. Like someone didn't call and be like, She this hasn't girl been has to no parents. Yeah, she has no parents. She hasn't been to school. Like, no, they she's... just let another seven years slide by. <laughs> what do you mean where the crawdads sing? Ma used to say that. I remembered Ma always in encouraging her to explore the marsh. Go as far as you can, way out yonder where the crawdads sing. Kate and Kaya continued to spend lots of time together, reading, mostly. They got to know each other pretty well and became really great friends. Kate was even there for Kaya when she got her first period and helped her understand what was happening. So how old is Kate? We'll get to that. Because if I'm mathing right from when they met when she was a kid, this is not okay. Yes. Okay. Yes. Okay. Oh no. But Kaya really liked Kate and likewise. Kate sprang from the log and called to her. See how many leaves you can catch before they hit the ground. Kaya jumped up and the two of them leaped and skipped through curtains of falling leaves, reaching their arms wide, snatching them before they fell to the earth. Laughing, Tate dived toward a leaf only inches from the ground, caught it, and rolled over, holding his trophy in the air. Kaya threw her hands up, releasing all the leaves she had rescued back into the wind. As she ran through them, they caught like gold in her hair. Then, as she whirled around, she bumped into Tate, who had stood and they froze, staring in to each other's eyes. They stopped laughing. He took her shoulders, hesitated an instant, then kissed her lips as the leaves rained and danced around them as silently as snow. She knew nothing about kissing and held her head and lips stiff. They broke away and looked at each other, wondering where that had come from and what to do next. He lifted a leaf gently from her hair and dropped it to the ground. Her heart beat wildly. Of all the ragged loves she'd known from wayward family, none had felt like this. Am I your girlfriend now? She asked. He smiled. Do you want to be? Yes. You might be too young, he said. But I know feathers. I bet the other girls don't know feathers. All right, then. And he kissed her again. You might be too young. Might be. So he's about 18, 19 at this point, and she's 14, soon to be 15. So this is pretty inappropriate, I feel. This is the weird stage in life where people are like, yeah, well, no, it's kind of weird. Like, he's kind of legally an adult at this point and has way more life experience than she does. I mean, granted she has a lot of things against she's still a child why is it okay when it's like an 18 year old with like a thousand year old vampire but the second it's real people it's no longer okay okay. (laughs) it's not okay i don't know the logic behind it i don't know why it's but it's not okay (laughs) it's not okay but it is when it's when it's edward cohen looking (laughs) I guess. Nobody even... I've never even heard anybody question that either. No, never. Never. Which is wrong. And it sucks because Tate has been very nice to her. Taught her how to read, how to do math, and really is just showing her how to be a normal human. I I hate that he's so much older than her and it weirds me out, but I'm like, oh, he's really been really good to her you know that, that he crossed that line <laughs> he, he crossed the line so moving forward now tate reminds kaya that he's going to call 
college in the summer. He got accepted for a job in the biology lab and she's pretty upset because she thought that they would have the summer together. He tells her that he will come back as much as he can to see her and that the college wasn't that far. It was less than a day by bus. She asks him why can't he just shrimp like his dad. Kaya, you know why. I just can't do that. I want to study the marsh, be a research biologist. Then what? There's no jobs like that here. You'll never come home again. Yes, I will. I won't leave you, Kaya. I promise. I'll come back for you. A week later, he shows up at her house. Hey, as he steps from the boat, he took her hand and led her to the reading log where they sat. Turns out I'm leaving sooner than I thought. I'm skipping the graduation ceremonies so I can start my job. Kaya, I've come to say goodbye. She didn't answer, but looked away from him. Her throat pulled in tight. He placed two bags of school and library rejects, mostly science books, at her feet. I'm going to miss you, Kaya, every day, all day. You might forget me when you get busy with all that college stuff and see all those pretty girls. I'll never forget you, ever. You take care of the marsh till I get back, you hear? And be careful. I will. I mean it now, Kaya. Watch out for folks. Don't let strangers get near you. I think I can hide or outrun anybody. Yes, I believe you can. I'll come home in about a month, I promise, for the 4th of July. I'll be back before you know it. So the 4th of July rolls around and Tate never showed up. She waited and waited. Months went by, then years. Kaya spent all of her time boating, collecting, painting. Her collections matured, categorized methodically by order genus, species, by age, according to boneware, by size and millimeters of feathers, or by the most fragile hues of greens. The science and art entwined in each other's strengths. The colors, the light, the species, the life. Weaving a masterpiece of knowledge and beauty that filled every corner of her shack, her world. She grew with them, alone, but holding all the wonders together. But just as her collection grew, so did her loneliness. A pain as large as her heart lived in her chest. Nothing eased it. Not the gulls, not a splendid sunset, not the rarest shells. So Kaya's 19 now, legs longer, eyes seemingly darker. She sat at Point Beach, where she saw Chase Andrews and his friends. Chase and his friends were tossing a ball to each other. As he raised his arm to throw, he happened to glance back and caught Kaya's eyes. After passing the ball, he turned and stared at her. His hair was black like hers, but his eyes were pale blue, his face strong, striking. A shadow smile formed on his lips. Since that day, Kaya began watching him and kept coming back to the beach and also to Jumpin's in hopes of seeing Chase there. At this point, she's very lonely. It's been years since she's been with anybody, and she's really itching for love, even though she won't admit that because she's still hurt and she doesn't want to be hurt again. But she can't help but be interested in Chase. A few mornings later, when she motors to the wharf, Jumpin was nowhere to be seen. Brown pelicans hunched up on the posts eye her as though they were minding shop. Kaya smiled at them. A touch on her shoulder made her jump. She turned to see Chase standing behind her. She dropped her smile. I'm Chase Andrews. His eyes, ice-packed blue, pierced her own. He seemed completely comfortable to stare into her. She said nothing but shifted her weight. I've seen you around some, you know, over the years in the marsh. What's your name? For a moment, he thought she wasn't going to speak. Maybe she was dumb or spoke a primal language, like some said. A less self-assured man might have walked away. Kaya, she said. Obviously, he didn't remember their sidewalk, bicycle encounter, or know her in any way, except as the Marsh girl. Is know. this her expecting him to remember him? Or yeah, they just... I think so. I think she's kind of like, oh, clearly doesn't remember. Well, obviously not. You're just another... You're just he another... never spoke to you at that point. Yeah. And you were... It was a very long time ago. Yeah. Kaya, Kaya. That's different, but nice. You want to go for a picnic in my boat this Sunday? Is that how they ask each other on dates? Yes. Do you know what she said? No. She said yes. Ugh. 
So they made plans to meet at the same beach that she saw him with his friends that Sunday at noon. Well, and I feel like this is going to end poorly. It does. Uh. So Kaya doesn't know this, but Tate did come back to see her. He didn't come back when he said he was going to because the school had actually arranged a, an expedition for him to go on. It was like a one in a lifetime kind of chance thing. So he it was this, for the same weekend he was supposed to come home. She can read now though, right? Yeah. Uh, yeah. She's, so why didn't he write her a letter? Who knows? <laughs> he was a boy. He was a young boy. Well, he was a dumb boy. He was a dumb boy. So when he did get the chance to come home after the expedition was over, he decided to go out to her place. And when he got closer, he saw her digging in the sand and just sifting through it. So he hid his boat in the reeds out of view, and she didn't see him there. But she, she didn't did hear it. No, she didn't hear him coming. But she heard someone else, someone else's boat coming. So she actually went and hid. And he knew that Kaya was like that to a degree, but he didn't realize just how bad it was. She was very isolated, tormented, and strange. Kind of just stared at her and was thinking to himself if he should even come back or not. He whispered to himself that he just can't do it and that he was sorry. And he got back into the ocean and left. He literally told her not to talk to strangers. Like yeah. isolating her further and yeah. solidifying what her parents have been telling her. Yeah. You are not okay, Tate. No. It sucks because he, he's like, he was so good to her, but he just, just the age thing and almost kind of scared her more. So that Sunday then, her and Chase meet at Point Beach and they get into his boat and they take a ride on the water. They don't really talk the entire time because Kai is just awkward and you know he didn't really try to make any conversation either so he's just as weird. He ended up asking her if she would like to walk so they got out of the boat and just started walking along the beach and eventually they sat for a break and Chase decided to break out the harmonica and play her a song but in the middle of the song he stops. I would die <laughs> I would absolutely die. Who thinks Thanks for that. <laughs> I mean, it is... It's, it's a, a nice different gesture. time. Yeah, it's a different time. I don't time. really know when harmonicas were popular. Were they ever? I don't know. <laughs> no hate to the harmonicas. I think I would personally die if anyone played me a song sitting in front of me. Like, even like on a guitar, if someone sat in front of me and played me a song, (laughs) I would probably start laughing. Out of awkwardness. It's just so (laughs) awkward. I'm like, oh, I don't know what to do. I'd probably do the same thing. In the middle of the song, he stops and he says, hey, look at this. And it's a a shell um, in the beach. And Kaya says, oh, it's an ornate scallop, pectin ornatus. I only see them rarely. There are many of that genus here, but this particular species unusually inhabits regions south of this latitude because the waters are too cool for them. He stared at her, and of all the gossip, no one ever mentioned that the marsh girl, the girl who couldn't spell dog, knew the Latin names of shells, where they occurred, and why, for Christ's sake. I don't know about that, he said, but look here, it's twisted. The little wings flaring on either side of the hinge were crooked, and there was a perfect little hole at the base. He turned it over in his palm. Here, you keep it. You're the shell girl. Thanks. She slid it into her pocket. So Chase breaks out a picnic basket full of food and some cake, and they have a little picnic. Their shoulders brushed lightly, and when she looked at Chase, he lifted her chin with his hand and kissed her. He touched her neck lightly, then feathered his finger over her blouse toward her breast, kissing and holding her more firmly now. He leaned back until they were lying on the blanket. Slowly he moved until he was on top of her, pushed his groin between her legs, and in one movement pulled up her blouse. She jerked her head away and squirmed out from under him, her blacker-than-night eyes blazing. She tugged her top down. Easy, easy, it's okay. She lay there, hair strewn across the sand, face flushed, red mouth slightly parted. Carefully, he reached up to touch her face, but she sprang away and stood. Chase reached for her arm, but she jerked it away. I'm sorry, 
it's okay. True, he'd come here to snag her, to be the first, but watching those eyes firing, he was entranced. He tried again. Come on, Kaya. I said I'm sorry. Let's just forget it. I'll take you back to your boat. At that, she turned and walked across the sand toward the woods, her long body swaying. What are you doing? You can't just walk back from here. It's miles. But she did. She walked. Is this like picnic and chill? Yeah, pretty much. That's what he thought it was, anyway. Why is he like, oh, it's okay, even though she very clearly is not, not okay with okay. it? Well, I guess he just don't know how to take no for an answer. So it's been about 10 days now since their picnic, and she hasn't seen him since then. Until that 10th day. Near the spot where he kissed her, she saw him walking with fishing rods towards his boat, and behind him, always wears pearls, carried a cooler. So Kaya had nicknames for Chase's friends because she didn't know any of their names, so she just called them based on what they were wearing or what they looked like. And this always wears pearls was a female that was often with Chase and his other friends. So she sees them and suddenly Chase turns his head and looks directly at her. She didn't turn away and she stared at him until she did get too shy and just ended up leaving. But about 10 minutes later, she came back and she saw Chase in his boat alone, just sitting there. Chase was still interested in Kaya. He motioned her over and called. Hi, Kaya. She didn't go toward him, but didn't go the other way either. He motored a little closer. Kaya, I'm sorry about the other day, okay? Come on. I want to show you the fire tower. She said nothing, but drifted a little closer to him. Look, if you've never climbed the tower, it's a great way to see the marsh. Follow me. And she did. They arrive at the swamp that the fire tower resides in. They ended up going to the top of the fire tower. It's no longer in use because it's been deemed unsafe since the swamp took over. They reach the top and Chase turns to her and says, thanks for coming Kaya, for giving me another chance to say I'm sorry about the other day. I was way out of line and it won't happen again. Did he have to take her to a fire tower to say that? I think he was trying to entice her with something like seeing the entire marsh because that was like her favorite thing. I think that was his way of like getting her to like, oh, come with him. If like, true crime has taught me anything, don't this know. sounds like a bad idea. <laughs> don't go to the fire tower. Yeah. Just don't do it. That's so sketchy. Yeah. Is it sketchy? Not for Kaya. Oh god. Let's see. <laughs> okay. So she said nothing still at this point and they're standing at the top of the fire tower. Part of her wanted to kiss him which makes no sense. But it's like she has this like push and pull where she's like she kind of wants to be near him but kind of wants to get away from him. But she sticks around with him for a little bit anyway. Reaching into her pocket she said I made a necklace with the shell you found. You don't have to wear it if you don't want to. She strung the shell on the rawhide the night before, thinking to herself that she would wear it, but knowing all along she hoped to see Chase again and would give it to him if she had the chance. Thank you, Kaya, he said. He put it on. Of course I'll wear it. Take me to your house, he said. It's far, she said, but was really thinking about how worn out the house was. Kaya, I don't care how far or what, it, what it's like. Come on, let's go. This chance of acceptance might go away if she said no. All right, she said. They climb back down the tower. They leave, and shortly after after they arrive at her house. Oh no. She's a pushover. Oh no, something <laughs> bad's gonna happen. So Chase was her first visitor since Tate, who had seemed as natural and accepting as other marsh creatures. But with Chase, she felt exposed, as if someone was flaying her like a fish, and shame welled up inside of her. She kept her back to him, but felt him move around the room, followed by the familiar creaks of the floor. Then he came up behind her, turned her gently, and embraced her lightly. He put his lips against her hair, and she could feel his breath near her ear. Kaya, nobody I know could have lived out here alone like this. Most kids, even 
and the guys would have been too scared. She thought he was going to kiss her, but he dropped his arms and walked to the table. What do you want with me? She asked. Tell me the truth. Look, I'm not gonna lie. You're gorgeous, free, wild as a dang gale. The other day, I wanted to get as close as I could. Who wouldn't? But that ain't right. I shouldn't have come on like that. I just want to be with you, okay? Get to know each other. Then what? We'll just find out how we feel. I won't do anything unless you want me to. How's that? That's fine. Chase had not planned on feeling anything for this strange and feral barefoot girl, but watching her swirl across the sand with the birds at her fingertips, he was intrigued by her and her self-reliance as well as her beauty. He'd never known anyone like Kaya, a curiosity as well as desire stirred in him. When she came back to where he stood, he asked if he could come again the next day, promised he would not even hold her hand, that he just wanted to be near her. She simply nodded, the first hope in her heart since Tate left. Kaya ends up seeing Tate out while she was in her boat one day. She had seen him a few times over the last few years, but never this close. He was in his high waders, taking samples. She watched him for a while, then rode back the way she came. And a few days later, Kate was out in the water near her channel this time, and suddenly her boat zoomed past him. He put his arms up to get her attention and shouted her name. She was looking east, and Tate looked to see where she was heading and saw Chase's boat going towards her. He watched them as they met and touched fingers across the water. He had heard the rumors about the two, but hoped it wasn't true. But he did understand why Kaya would fall for such a man. He was handsome, romantic, whizzing her around in his nice boat, taking her on nice picnics. But Kaya didn't know of Chase's life in town. He was dating and courting other young women in Barkley Cove. One you day- You both suck. Yeah. You both suck. Both suck. Ugh. She's, she's had so much shit people in her life. It just keeps- They just keep coming. Yeah. They and just get, coming. It just gets worse and worse, I think. Oh, I'm so scared for her. So one day, things got a little spicy on the boat with Chase. Chase wanted things to progress as he did the day of their first picnic. Kaya wanted him- but she put her hand on his, halting him. Come on, Kaya. Please. We've waited forever. I've been pretty patient, don't you think? Chase? You should be as patient as anything. Oh my goodness. Especially since he's probably in town doing God knows what with Courting some other, other girls. women. Why do you care if she's putting out or not? You have like 30 other women you could pick from in town. He's, he's he, so weird about Kaya and it freaks me out. Is it because... She hasn't done it with anyone else and he wants that probably. like trophy. Yeah, probably. Gross. Yeah, yeah. That's probably exactly what it is. Ew, sir. Big ew. Chase, you promised. Damn it, Kaya. What are we waiting for? Surely I showed you I care for you. Why not? Sitting up, she pulled her shirt down. What happens next? How do I know you won't leave me? How does anybody ever know? But Kaya, I'm not going anywhere. I'm falling in love with you. I want to be with you all the time. What else can I do to show you? He had never mentioned love. Kaya searched his eyes for truth but found only a hard stare unreadable she didn't know exactly how she felt about chase but she was no longer lonely so that seemed like it was enough soon okay he pulled her close it's okay come here i hate him <laughs> i hate him he's so much <laughs> he's pushy they're not together like really long and she's still pretty young so at least she's an adult yeah <laughs> in this situation That's fair That's still not okay one up on tate still absolutely not okay <laughs> about a year later they're still together. Chase says how lucky he is that his father owns the Western Auto, which is like a like a garage and like part store. This way we'll have a nice house when we get married. I'm gonna build you a two-story on the beach with a wraparound veranda or whatever kind of house you want, Kaya. Kaya could barely breathe. He wanted her in his life. Not just a hint, but something like a proposal. She would belong to someone, be part of a family. She sat straighter in her chair and he continued. But I don't think we should live right in town. That'd be too much of a jump for you. But we could 
should build a place on the outskirts, you know, close to the marsh. Chase is really hyping up his life with Kaya. She's never seem... met his parents. No. Right? Like, no. or any of his friends? Nobody. Not even his friends. No. Nobody. It's just been her and him and that's it. Something about it, the whole situation didn't sit well with Kaya, rightfully so. And she says the fact that she's never met his family or his friends and he kind of plays it off and makes it seem like it's not that big of a deal or, you know, eventually she will meet them. Just excuse after excuse. But he says, Kaya, you gotta understand something about my folks. They love me. And if I say you're my choice, that'll be that. They'll just fall in love with you when they get to know you. But they haven't gotten to know her. No. I hate you. And <laughs> girl needed to read some romance novels. Yeah. She had lots of books, just not the right kinds. <laughs> His parents, Chase's parents, everybody in the village thinks her Marsh family girl. is terrible. Yeah. So why would they want to meet her anyway? You They're know? all call her like Marsh girl. Yeah. She's trash. Scum. Like why would they want to meet her? Or why would they want their son oh, to be gosh. with her? So they end up going out of town together because Chase had to buy some things for his dad's store and he wanted Kaya to go with him. He said it would be a two-day job and they would have to stay in a hotel. So he convinces her to go by saying, look, if we're gonna get married, you might as well start going out in the world a little bit. Spread those long wings of yours. So she agrees and she goes with them. They arrive and after Chase unlocked their door, she stepped into a room that seemed clean enough but reeked of pine saw and was furnished in American cheap fake panel walls, a sagging bed with a nickel vibrator machine, and a black and white TV secured to the table with an impossibly large chain and padlock. The bread spreads were lime green, the carpet orange shag. Kaya's mind went back to all the places they had lain together, in crystal sand, by tidal pools, and in moonlit drifting boats. Here the bed loomed as the centerpiece, but the room didn't look like love. She stood knowingly near the door. It's not great, he said, putting his duffel bag on the chair. He walked towards her. It's time. Don't you agree, Kaya? Of course, that was his plan this whole freaking time. Oh my god, I... But she was ready. Her body had been longing for months, and after the talk of marriage, she was like, all right, yeah, I could do this. So she gave in. Master manipulator. Yes. They did the deed, and Chase was terrible about it. He was very inconsiderate of her feelings and how her body was feeling towards it. Really just... just two seconds. Put her, her needs to the side and was like, it'll get better. It'll get better. But she didn't know any better because she don't have any females in her life to tell her that like this is what it's going to be like and this is you know what it's supposed to be after and everything like he definitely doesn't know where the clit is no he definitely don't because <laughs> it never got better and in the book it has said it never got better even um, like a year later you know still not any better that's still so, terrible that's disappointing it is several weeks later they're eating breakfast at the shack and chase stood from the table and lifted her chin kissed her and said well i won't be out much in the next few days with Christmas coming up and all. There's lots of events and stuff and some relatives come in. She looked up at him and said, oh, I was hoping maybe I could go to some of the parties and things. At least maybe Christmas dinner with your family. Chase sat back down. Kaya, look, I've been wanting to talk to you about this. I want to ask you to the Elks Club dance and stuff like that, but I know how shy you are, how you don't ever do stuff in town. I know you'd be miserable. You wouldn't know anybody. You don't have the right clothes. Do you even know how to dance? None of those things are what you do. You understand that, right? I hate- I, I would love to just- in his face. So mean. Like, how are you gonna put her down like that? So looking at the floor, she said, yeah, and all that's true, but, well, I have to start fitting in with some of your life. Spread my wings, like you said. I guess I have to get the right clothes, meet some of your friends, and you could teach me to dance. Well, sure, and I will, but I think of you and me as what we have out here. I love our time here together, just you and me. To tell you the truth, I'm getting kind of tired of those stupid dances. Been the same for years. High school, gym, old folks, young folks, all together. So 
saying dumb music, I'm ready to move on. You know, when we're married, we won't do stuff like that anyway. So why drag you into it now? Don't make any sense, okay? She looked at the floor. He lifted her chin again and held her eyes with his own. Then grinning big, he said, and man, as far as having Christmas dinner with my family, my ancient aunts come in from Florida. Never stop talking. I wouldn't wish that on anybody, especially you. Believe me, you ain't missing a thing. She was silent. Kaya spent Christmas alone with the goals as she had every year since Ma left. So Chase is just he's awful. Awful. And he's clearly hiding just, her. He's just saying whatever she he thinks she wants to hear to give it up. He probably he's probably like has a wife in town or something. Yeah. He's probably living like two lives. Pretty much. Maybe not exactly what you said, but But the two lives thing? Two lives. Yeah, he's got in the village chase and then he has marsh chase. So it's like she don't know nothing about that life out there because she don't go out there and she don't have anybody to tell her and then she has what about the people that she sells stuff to don't they know i don't think they do they're, they're older like, i think they just mind they're still in business. the village though like yeah but i don't think they see that <sighs> stuff so christmas passes by and chase didn't come by at all and after four days she finally hears his boat she springs from the kitchen table and ran to the lagoon as the boat chugged into view but it wasn't chase's boat or even chase at all can you guess who it is was it tate it's tate she was actually really <laughs> pissed that it was tate so she starts throwing rocks at him and screaming at him to get going and he tries to like calm her down but she's screaming at him still throwing rocks at him calling him a low down dirty creep and he says he said he knows she's with chase now and he respects it but he wanted to warn her of him and he goes on to tell her about how he goes out with other women and just the other night after a party he drives away with a blonde girl in a truck even though kaya knows he's probably telling the truth she's still mad that he had the audacity to come by after all these years and try to tell her that her new boyfriend is no good for her. I mean, like, he's not. No. Neither one of neither. them are. So she whirled around and she says, oh, really? You are the one who left me, who didn't come back when you promised, who never came back at all. You're the one who never wrote to explain why or even if you were alive or dead. You didn't have the nerve to break up with me. You were not man enough to face me. You just disappeared. Chicken shit asshole. You come floating in here after all these years. You're worse than he is. He might not be perfect, but you're worse by a long shot. She stopped abruptly, staring at him. Palms open, he pleaded. You're right about me, Kaya. Everything you said is true. I was a chicken shit, and I had no right to bring up Chase. It's none of my business, and I'll never bother you again. I just need to apologize and explain things. I've been sorry for years, Kaya. Please. She starts to calm down then. She really did love Tate, and he taught her so much, and they shared a devotion to the marsh. He handed her a tiny red cheek feather from a northern flicker. She wanted to toss it on the ground, but she doesn't have that feather, so she put it in her pocket and didn't say thank you. He said, Kaya, leaving you was not only wrong, it was the worst thing I have done or ever will do in my life. I've regretted it for years and will always regret it. I think of you every day. For the rest of my life, I'll be sorry if I left you. I truly thought you wouldn't be able to leave the march and live in the other world, so I didn't see how we could stay together. But that was wrong, and it was bullshit that I didn't come back and talk to you about it. I knew how many times you've been left before. I didn't want to know how badly I hurt you. I was not man enough, just like you said. He asked for forgiveness, and she didn't answer. And he asked to see her collections inside her house. She really didn't want him in there because she was actually worried that Chase might show up, but she did let him in anyway. And he went inside and he took a lot around at everything that she's done over the years. And he says, Kaya, these are wonderful, beautifully detailed. You could publish these. This could be a book. Lots of books. No, no, they're just for me. They help me learn is all. Kaya, listen to me. You know 
better than anybody that the reference books for this area are almost non-existent. With these notation, technical data, and splendid drawings, these are the books everyone's been waiting for. If I could take a few samples, I'll find out about a publisher, see what they say. She agreed, and they had a little moment because the collections he chose was of the first feather that he gifted her. So they kind of had a little look in each other's eyes. Then she forced herself to turn away because she's like, I will not. I will not do this again. I cannot trust him. Then he asked for forgiveness again after apologizing, and she said, I don't know how to. Take. I could never believe you again. He said, you have to go now. He said, I know. Thank you for listening to me and for giving me this chance to apologize. And the hope for a publisher was a reason to contact her again. Hello, Ashley here. This is the end of part one of Where the Crawdads Sing. Going forward, most episodes will be two-part to give it more of a book club feel and to break up some of our longer books. We had already recorded this book and the next book when we made this decision, so the ending of part one will just be me, but after the next book it will be both of us. So I hope you enjoyed part one of Where the Crawdads Sing. Follow us on Instagram and join the Facebook page to discuss the books after the episode. Thanks for listening and bye! Bye.